0: Today's episode is a doozy. I have the great and talented Dylan Mandelson, comedian out of uh, Canada. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about the four things that all women want. Uh, We're going to talk about how to get grounded for those of you struggling with anxiety, panic attacks, uh, you know, not able to get out of your your head. Um, We're going to talk about the difference between childish versus childlike, and why guilt, feelings of guilt. If you feel guilt, especially people who struggle with survivor's guilt, why feeling the feeling of guilt is the opposite of who you are. And uh, we're also going to talk about how to celebrate your wins, right? So this podcast is going to be a doozy. We cover a lot of things, but specifically we also are addressing, um, talking about how women have daddy issues, men have father issues. And, and and that's the theme throughout this episode in terms of Dylan talking about how uh, he grew up in a very uh, turbulent household and how he's been able to work his way through that and thrive and uh, build on that relationship, so it 's a fascinating one uh, before we get into it, I also want to mention uh, equine therapy for anybody out there struggling with PTSD or anxiety or panic attacks. Uh, comedian Whitney Cummings is big on it, but equine therapy is basically working with horses and there's an article in The Wall Street Journal that talks about how beneficial it's been for vets who struggle with PTSD. And suicidal ideation, because working with because horses can smell adrenaline. So, in order for you to be around a horse, you have to figure out how to calm your nervous system down, how to breathe, and be in the moment, and how to take care of the horse, putting the focus on the horse instead of on you and what you've uh, what you've been through. So, it's called the Brave Heart Project. It's out of Colorado, uh, and even if, you know, I know everybody doesn't live in Colorado, but. Um, and uh, so check, look into that. There was an interruption. of recording this intro on a cruise ship, uh, and there's a bunch of announcements being made right now. Um, and uh, But in the meantime, if you can't get to horses or pets, um, you know, make sure you're doing the germs. You're journaling. You're exercising, you're reading, you're meditating, you're doing a self talk. I'm I'm been, I've i been on a cruise ship for a week. I have another week. We go to Cabo, Mazatlan, Puerto Vallarta, and uh, I definitely have had to click through my germs a few times every uh, every day. Um, so I hope you're well. I hope you're taking care of yourself. Let's get into this episode. I'm on a, a cruise ship with Dylan Mandelson uh, from Canada. I don't know what's the, what's the story, Dylan. Why is, it, why is it so hard to talk about emotions, huh? Uh, where to begin? There's so why why is it like them. pulling teeth?
1: Uh, that's a great question, man. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's hard because uh, so the idea is how do you how do you get to be vulnerable on stage and funny? It's like being compelling and funny at the same time. And uh, I guess that's where just, you know, the best comics are these days is like their their point of view, which is where their vulnerability's at, I guess. I'm trying to make sense of it myself. But that seems to be where the hardest part of comedy is, is to go, hey, I feel this way and about this certain thing, and I'm going to try to make it funny. But it's like the truth is almost, it's weird because I think comedians care more about the truth of the joke. And the audience, I think, is like, I ah, would rather just be it funny. So comics are trying to find the balance.
0: Right, right. It's almost like how do you get to the uh, that, that Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, where you're both, you're still funny and hysterical, but also uh, introspective and um, poignant. And uh, you know, like you're you're saying something that resonates with people long after they've seen the show, right? Yeah. So
1: obviously, there are comedians out there that are successful that are not necessarily introspective and insightful, I would say, like an example would be like Larry the Cable Guy. (laughs) Right. Who obviously is just, you know, this, my sister, this, and my dad, you know, whatever. Like, just, just whatever. It's all goofy and it comes from a character, but it worked. I I, The thing is, is what I don't know about Larry the Cable Guy is did it just, did he just make his millions off of, like, people from the South? or Or was he like, did he make his millions because... All of America bought in.
0: I think he, he tapped into it. Well, I think what we... I think, you know, because you live in Canada, I live in L.A., and I think it's easy to, to think of America in terms of the big cities. But most of America is very rural. Like when you think about Montana, North Dakota, South... So even if you're in the North, you still have a lot of very rural states, it, not just Dude, rural it's cities. crazy. Like
1: I think middle America... It really, uh,
0: yeah, it's huge. Kansas. Right. uh, Utah. Massive, massive. And they have a few cities, you know, where people are kind of hip, kind of hip, kind of progressive. But most of it is just, even if you take a a state like Illinois, Chicago, you know, is is very, uh, quote unquote, progressive. But outside of Chicago, man, it's just uh, it's just country. Yeah.
1: So the idea is, if you can if you can sell yourself to m- the middle part of America, small town America,
0: yeah, you can still blow up. Yeah, and Yeah. Absolutely. Huge. Absolutely. Um, but I, I think you know his is a shtick, and for you, it's like all right. So me and Dylan were at dinner earlier, and uh, we were with some friends, and as one woman was talking about how. Uh, she got a divorce. And I said, why would you guys get a divorce? And she said, uh, because he cheated, right? And that's the, always the default answer, right? It, whether it's he cheated or she cheated, somebody cheated. And and then, but as we click through her story, she was like, yeah, he was trying to sleep with this chick and that chick and that woman. And then we click a little further, it turns out that the only reason why she married him was not even because she loved him or was in love or highly attracted. She was lonely. So they didn't, do, you know, they didn't divorce because he cheated. They they just should not have. There was no foundation. Right. It was like she was feeling lonely. He filled a void, and then of course that crumbles after a while, right? But but her story is gonna be he cheated because that's that's that gets her sympathy everybody understands that and then she doesn't have any growing to do and and i bring that up because you know the thing that me and dylan here have been working on is how do we get to the truth of our story and what we're doing on stage because when me and dylan were at dinner we're talking about uh you know his growing up and what he struggled with his with his father and how his your father was verbally abusive or yeah can yeah. you can you ex, uh, expound on that very or?
1: hypercritical
0: yeah uh my dad would walk
1: in the door and whatever I, if i was playing and not studying i was doing something wrong if i was studying i'd have to be studying properly uh you know what i mean like it just like no music or whatever um but uh you know education was really important and uh yeah, it was. It was just a. You know what? My dad. He was a. It was a real estate agent, and anybody who knows that industry is just a very stressful, high-strung kind of business. My dad came home. He was a really stressed-out guy, and uh, I don't think he knew it at the time. I don't think he was self-aware enough to know that he was just taking out a lot of that angst out on me, and my sister. And just verbally abusive, very hypercritical. He would yell a lot. He was a very violent screamer. Mm. I'd lie to him. I remember one time I uh, I told him I did well on a test, and a buddy of mine came over, and he yells out loud, "Hey man, sorry about your your F. <laughs> sorry, sorry you failed." And my dad was like, "What? You told him you did well," and he. Like my buddy was like, I am so sorry, buddy. I like I had no idea. He left the house and my dad erupted on me for lying, for failing. It was just it was so brutal. So rather rather than So no physical abuse. No physical abuse. Wow. But it was uh, I was twelve years old. Yeah. And rather than my dad this is what I would love to have happened. My dad went, oh, my kid lied to me about his grade. You know what? I want to sit down and just have a chat with my kid so that he's not afraid to talk to me. Say, so you can't do this. You can't lie to me. But from in the future, I'm not going to make it so scary to tell me how well you did. But we will hold you accountable for grades that are low. We're going to figure out what we need to do to get your grades up. But instead, he just he he it was 4th of July level yelling yeah and he, and then he didn't talk to me for almost a month after that and i never knew when the when he was going to talk to me again i just assumed at 12 years old my dad has abandoned me like i'm just not i don't have a dad now yeah. i live with him but he's just if we're in the kitchen it's just oddly tense in the living room, whatever, I would just leave, make myself scarce. And he just, he never thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make i I'm going to create a deeper connection with my kid because I can tell he's scared. Instead, I just grew up with this, this sort of like, I, that lone wolf that you were mentioning before uh, over dinner that I just felt like I had to become. And in turn, it just, uh, yeah, I guess it kind of created this complex of, I guess I'm just going to be alone in my life that was the feeling that i had i this is my value i i should be alone so if you look at the tra- the trajectory of my life i'm becoming a comedian it's a very lone thing i don't do i don't work well in improv groups and stuff like that i can do it and have fun with it but my my mo is to is to go alone uh the longest relationship i've ever had was two years it just, for some reason, after, I don't know what it is, after two years, I just seem... I'm the same way. I, I feel disconnected. And uh, and I, I, I'm so afraid of having children because I, for some reason, even though I can rationalize this thought, but for some reason, I can't emotionally get over it. I'm so scared of screwing up my son or daughter's life to the point where, like, it's... It, it it's only reversible through so much therapy management, um. So it's uh yeah uh, so that's kind of where I'm at today with that stuff. Like I obviously I manage it; it doesn't cripple me, but
0: that's where I'm at. I know, self. and that's what's remarkable because, like you said, you are managing. Like you're 39 years old, you're uh, financially well off, and. Uh, have a you're, you're doing, you know, and I know you want to do you want to be doing better things, but you're doing very well comedically stand up wise. Right. And like you said, you have a beautiful life back in Canada and this realm of relationships. It's funny because it almost mimics the story of the woman we were talking to earlier where she was like, she was like, I'm crushing it at work. I'm, uh, I'm in great shape. All these everything else in my life is wonderful except relationships and she was like, oh, "No, I'll get married, you know? And we. I think that it's like, what we forget is that um, the reason why we become successful in stand-up and business and all this other stuff is because we took chances. We took a risk. We failed. I mean, it's like how many times did you bomb on stage but you kept getting back up there or maybe you didn't bomb but you had a joke that didn't work the first 10 20 times and then the 21st time but for some reason we get in our heads about uh with relationships like I got to get this one right you know I got to I have to to nail the first marriage it's like when was the last time the first anything <laughs> it has worked out i mean every now and again there's a blip right yeah but you know this the space shuttle blew up like 20 times before neil armstrong got up there but nobody's talking about that they're just talking about how he's the first man on the moon but he's not the first man to try to get to When those guys are dead you know but when it comes to marriage we put so much weight on that and i don't I wonder if that comes from like our like religion and tradition and, you know, marriages forever and and blah, blah, blah. I think it's uh, we're a culture that doesn't
1: understand or want to utilize failure, really. You know, like it, it's interesting. We even call it bombing. And it sounds horrible. You bombed. But that was the part <laughs> so where dramatic, I, yeah. Right, it's so dramatic. And yet that, that's the... spot. We could also go, oh, yeah, so those were learning moments. You, you, you actually got better that night and you came back and destroyed. Um, but I, I think that has a lot to do with it. We're, we're just a group of people that don't really understand failure. And there's a whole lot of... Look at... Like, how many comics do jokes today about, you know, trophies for all the kids...
0: No one can fail. Right. No one can feel terrible. Yeah. Right. So. And we don't, man. Like, it's, it's like you said, like, you, that, you know, so what's interesting is because I, and I've heard this in different podcasts and different books is like, at the root of the kid thing is like, you're really trying to avoid a feeling. Right It's like yeah guilt right you don't want to feel guilt <laughs> yeah, so guilt's like, a strong yeah. one man <laughs> guilt's a strong one and, and, and it's funny because when you when you you know I was thinking about that earlier I forgot what what I was um I forgot what I was experiencing or kind of emotional sandstorm was whirling up in Leo Flowers but uh, I just remember kind of laughing about the idea of like I'm trying to avoid. Uh, feel even with a joke right like you write a joke and uh you want to go on stage with it because you just wrote it you want to know if it works but then you don't do it because uh you know it might fail or you might tank but really it's like you're you're trying to avoid the feeling of feeling like a failure and like and, and feelings can't hurt you Theor- and Theoretically, right? They so can't physically hurt They can't you. hurt physically, but they over can time, mentally screw up the rest could, of they, your yeah. life, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and cause cancer if you, if you hold <laughs> on to too many of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, they they can hurt. <laughs> so there's a there's a there's an irony in that, like this this thing that uh, I'm trying, and you can't avoid feelings because that's what life is is full of, but we spend so much time trying to avoid it instead of like, oh, how do I how do I learn about guilt and how to manage it when it does come up versus how do I avoid that feeling?
1: That's a great question. So I read a book, Conversations with God. I was going to ask you if you ever. I had it. It's a great one uh, by Neil Donald Walsh. And in the book, it says that guilt is the emotion that represents the exact opposite of who you are? That's what guilt is. Now that I don't exactly know how to make complete sense of that sentence, but it's a start to understand that guilt is the opposite of who you. It denies who you are um, because because when you when you feel guilty. You you feel like a monster, you feel isolated, you feel terrible, uh, you feel like you've done something that puts you in a position to be punished. So guilt, the way you feel inside that emotion, uh, is everything that you are not. Meaning guilt makes you feel separated from everybody, it makes you feel like you've done something wrong based Uh, on judgment, uh, based in criticism. Uh, it's, it's rooted right out of fear. Um, it's, uh, and it's, it can be very crippling and it can also be extremely manipulating because most people are willing to do just about anything to free themselves of feeling guilty. So it uh, and spiritually, God doesn't judge, God doesn't criticize or shame or blame. So or, or guilt trip you, and guilt is a really strong one. So feeling that way is denying, in a sense, how special you are. I'm you know I'm trying. I I'd rather I I for lack of a better way of saying this. So that's what that's what makes guilt uh, a real mother
0: to deal with. It, you know what is it's true because uh um you know you feel like you've done something wrong and then you're 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 punishing yourself on top of what has already taken place versus uh taking action to make amends. Does that Am I am I off the – so, like, when I think about guilt, it's like – I think – like, so, sh, uh, first of all, let's, let's differentiate between guilt and shame, right? Because I think shame is when you don't live up to your standards and then
1: – Or when you put your standards – when you define your standards as someone else's standards. So, if you're playing baseball and you go, well, I'm supposed to hit the ball – Because everyone is going to cheer. If I don't, then I'm considered a failure. But what if the goal was just getting up to the plate? Then it's a win. But if your standards are, I got to hit the ball, I got to get on base, or I got to hit a home run, I got to be the big hero, then if you don't do that, shame sets in by not meeting that bar. There's also a difference between guilt and guilty, because... You can be guilty of something, but not feel the guilt of it. We're talking about the emotion of guilt. Wow! You can feel you can feel guilt, but
0: not have done not have done anything wrong. Right. So it's kind of like what what kids feel with their parents of like if your parent like you know I I grew up in a household where you know my mom, um, you know she. She did, a, she did an incredible job of keeping food on the table, lights on, stuff like that. But I always felt like a, a guilt in that I was the reason that she had to work so hard. So, right? So, sure. and, I, and there's a lot of kids who feel like that, who take on the burden of their parents. A- although, like, my mom didn't explicitly put that burden on me. It's just something that I felt, right? Like a guilt out of, like, just me being here is making things harder for my mom. Sure. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, and so I think that's what you're talking about—the difference between. So I felt guilt, but I wasn't guilty. It's not like I did. It's not like I robbed a bank, or you. Uh, a judge hasn't deemed you guilty, right? Or you didn't hurt
1: someone, and therefore you know. Well, I did something wrong. I'm guilty of doing that. You felt guilt. You you thought you were doing something wrong. You you felt that your existence, or the fact that you cost your mom money, felt that you were doing something wrong by doing that.
0: And so, when, we talk, when we're talking about guilt, then how how does this tie all back into you and where you're at with, uh, you know, you you don't want kids because and- I would feel incredibly
1: guilty Gu- if I if I ruined my son or daughter's life in a in a way where I could see their personality is ingrained in my mess ups. And I don't understand why other parents and I I get very angry with this, why other parents don't do something to curb that when they see it. When uh... when they see that their mistakes are now sewn into the personalities of their children, that they don't do anything to try to change that and make their lives better. It's it's this constant terrible relationship where parents project like okay, in my house I wasn't allowed to cry. Okay? The more I cried, the more the higher and stronger my dad yelled. And the thing was was your crying is making me feel like a terrible parent. So stop crying because I'm feeling terribly guilty. Right, they're so, putting it on you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So instead of them going, wow, my, my you know what? A, my son should be allowed to cry. He should be allowed to feel sad. He should be allowed to ex- express this emotion. And then rather than saying, you know what? Let's just, uh, I'll wait with you and, you know, I'll just watch you cry. I'll just be here with you. And when you're ready to talk about it, let's talk about what's going on. Instead, it was, stop your crying. It was, and, and so it was this thing that just fed into each other. So then I became resentful and bitter and angry and sarcastic with my dad growing up. And, and anytime I, cause anytime I would express a different, more raw emotion like sadness, I was never allowed to do that in front of him because he was like, I can't stand watching my kid hurt. And at the end of the day, his hurtness is my fault.
0: Can I can I ask you a question? Um, does that when you when you think about th- that the fact that your father couldn't stand to see you hurt? that's, a, that's a, to me that's a powerful statement, right? Sure. The way he expressed that, obviously not the healthiest way. It's a horrible way. Yeah. But there is also. in in me at least, it brought up some compassion for your father. Sure. Right? Of like man, it hurts him so much to see you hurt that he he wants it to stop now. The way he's stopping it is a horrible way. And, but how do we, how do we go deeper into that? So
1: you have to understand that right there in that moment, there's a certain selfishness that I don't think parents are entitled to have. If your child is crying, there has to be a bravery and a strength in a parent to go, this is temporary. My kid will stop crying eventually. And we can have a talk about it and we can actually turn this negative experience into something even not just positive, but even like stronger positive. And my dad needed this moment to stop immediately based on his own selfishness of going, I can't stand to see my kid hurt right now. And I want to stop feeling this pain. So I'm going to demand my kids stop crying right now. So what that set that message that a child gets when that happens is my feelings don't matter. I'm not being heard right now. And if I'm not being heard right now, it's because I don't matter but when you allow a child to express sadness then they grow up uh, they grow up being able to express sadness better children that grow up that are as children that are not allowed to express sadness that are chastised and shamed and criticized for it they tend the sadness that they grow up with tends to turn into depression because they don't know how to manage it well they don't know how to deal with it so i had to learn in my adult life how to deal with sadness and how to ground myself now i want now having said all of this this i get along incredibly well with my dad today and he is a wonderful man but what we're talking about here is basically like if we took a helicopter ride over the landscape of my relationship with my dad you would see that it's a it's a forest that is incredibly plush there's great vegetation, trees are blooming, but there's this one little spot that if we take this helicopter down into this one little spot of the forest, well, we can't see all the vegetation and all that stuff. So we're just talking about that one little spot right now because I've evolved so well with my dad because I've had to learn to ac- accept him and not take personally what uh, how he raised me as a parent. I've had to give myself all that stuff that I've needed that I didn't get from him and other sources as well. But I do still carry with me the fears of raising my own children, settling down and getting married, uh, walking away from stand-up comedy. You know what I mean? Like, stand-up is going well, like you said, but, I mean, this is not... Like, stand-up is is an up-and-down, peaks-and-valleys kind of game. And there's always points where I'm sure every stand-up in their career thought, maybe it's time for me to walk away. Maybe it's time for something else because you can get really beat down, and not even just beat down, but just uh, suffer neglect from the industry and then go, I'm not making money, no one thinks I'm funny, I should walk away. I'm at a moment right now where that would be incredibly psychologically
0: hard for me to do. Uh, let's go back for a second. The it's it's uh, And let me uh, tell me if I'm hearing you correctly, right? Parents Uh, should be able to recognize and be aware of how they're projecting onto their children, right? Yes. And then uh, be able to course correct, right? Yes. Okay. And at the same time you're saying that, you're also saying that you fear if you have children uh, that you would be like your your father.
1: No, I don't think I would be like my dad. I just think that there's some sort of... I don't know, you know. See, and that's the thing. I think that what I'm experiencing is an irrational thought. An irrational fear. It's an irrational fear, an irrational thought. Right. But it's it's attached to such guilt that if I'm even remotely close to write about this irrational thought, I don't know if I could forgive myself for it. If I saw pain in my child's in my children, because of something that. I've perpetuated. I've done uh, a mistake that I've made. That, uh, like, look, I I probably would be a great dad. I, I, I probably would be. The truth is, I probably would be an extraordinary father because I've but because I've done things that the majority of parents on this planet have not done. I've researched what it takes to be a great parent. I haven't done all the research in the world. Okay. And I've, and I've seen fathers and mothers from the, my walks of life and went, oh, I would take some of that from that mom. Right. I would take that from that dad. I would take that from these parents over here. And I would incorporate that into my own style and create the number one thing children want more than anything is to feel safe. That's the number one thing children want more than anything. Mm-hmm. And there are ways of making children feel safe with boundaries, uh proper sense of discipline, uh, respecting leadership, that sort of thing. And I do that. I, 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 you know this from my, my show. I'm a substitute teacher. And one of the biggest things that I need as a sub is classroom management. Now, I'm not looking to make friends in a classroom when I'm subbing. I'm looking to lead and gain their respect. And so I know how to do that with children. And I also see that at the end of the day, they feel safe with me because I've created a a quiet environment where all the children have to behave. No one kid gets away with something without consequence. So the children that are afraid of the children that do, well, they're not afraid while I'm in the room because they know that I'm keeping everybody calm. You're holding everyone accountable. I'm holding
0: everybody accountable. So, so, how do you how do you set that tone from the beginning? Because I know I have a lot of parents uh, who struggle with setting boundaries with their children, uh, uh, holding them accountable, and you know, how how do you create that 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 environment where it goes back to
1: what you were saying before? You have to have a philosophy. My philosophy is. I'm the leader. I'll give you an example of how I set a classroom up that's never met me before. Whether their regular teacher makes them line up outside a classroom or not, I make them line up outside of a classroom. And no one goes in until they're quiet. So I casually go, okay, go sit down. I say, go sit down quietly. Because I know they won't. So as soon as the first student makes a sound, I go, everybody, back out in the hall. Line up. So they line up, I go, "Why did I line you guys back up?" And someone always says, "Because we were because we were talking." I say, "Stop, raise your hand." "Why were you, why are you back out in the hall?" They raise their hand. "Because we were talking?" That's right. "Now go back inside and try it again." And if a student makes a sound, everyone back out in the hall. We'll do this all class. And if it's a second time, "Why are you out here?" Someone raises their hand. Now they they raise their hand without talking this time. "Because we were talking?" Let's try it again. They go in, the third time is usually a charm. And they sit down and they're stark, quiet. And I don't give them an inch. Anyone that even whispers, I, I just, I snap my fingers. I go, shh, nope, no talking. Then I introduce myself. I say, I'm Mr. Mandelson. I'm, I'll be with you just for today. If you can't remember Mandelson, you can call me Mr. M. I go, this is what we're going to be working on today. You guys are to be working quietly. I want you to get comfortable working in the silence. So now I've set the expectation and they're to follow my expectation there's no room for them to 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 misbehave. Now if they raise their hand and say sir can we listen to music while while we work I go show me 15 minutes of uninterrupted silent work and yes. Like I like there's compromise but they have to earn it. Right. And they're asking my permission. I'm the leader. Mm-hmm. Right, So that's how I know I would do well. I, I again, I see and again, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel so presumptuous to assume that, oh well, I would be a great parent because of that. but if I'm thinking about it, I believe I would make a great parent
0: because I would be firm, but I'd be fair. you know, what's it, valuable in what you said uh, were two things. One is the compromise, right? Because when I was subbing, I would do that same thing, also, of like making them line up until they got it right, and then of course they would get it, and then boom, class would go without a hitch. Uh, every now and again, you get a somebody who wants to test it, and then that immediately is uh, dealt with. But um, and I would say, here's the bathroom pass, and I was like, never ask me to use the bathroom. If you see the pass, then you have to use the bathroom. Go use the bathroom. As soon as somebody takes advantage of that, nobody goes to the bathroom. And I never would have anybody abuse the bathroom. Because to me, I feel like it's always weird to regulate bathroom. It's like if you gotta go to the bathroom, go yeah. to the bathroom. You I'm 43. Be. When I gotta go, I gotta go. <laughs> and so that always so that's where I like I empathize with kids of like, I, I just remember like there was always a kid who it was always a kid who would pee his pants because he was afraid, and I was like, "I never want to get to pee his pants in my class." So that was the one area where I was just like, "If you see the past, grab it. Don't ask me. If you if you ask me, you're gonna get in trouble." You know that kind of thing. But um, but the main thing that I liked is, and we talked about this, is the why. Why are we doing this, right? And it goes back to stand up. It goes back to parenting. It goes back to you know why that w- the woman earlier got married. She got married out of loneliness. This fitted you know, the piece of the puzzle. She felt like she was missing. It's not that she was missing a piece. She felt like she was missing a piece, right? And so when we get to the why of what we're doing, of why we're doing something, uh, it makes it powerful. And But if you ask yourself why and you don't have an answer, then that's where the work is, right? It's like, why are you doing stand-up on a ship? Why Why do you want to be a parent? Or why don't you want to be a parent? Or why do you have kids? Why don't you? It's like that's where you know you have to do work if that's something that's valuable to you. Maybe it's not important to you to answer a why in certain areas, but that, that same impact that it has on a class is the same impact it has with us. I, I write in my journal uh, oftentimes... You know why like my whole thing is eating. I'm always like I told you about ice cream and uh, uh, sweet tooth and, and food and uh, sometimes I'll I'll eat more than I I should and I feel I feel guilty um, or I feel guilt. But I'll ask myself why? why did we why did we eat so much or why do we blah blah blah? And I'm like, wow, well, you didn't get a lot of sleep and well why didn't you get enough sleep? Well I was up watching. You know, something on Netflix. And it's like, why are you up? I was feeling a little lonely. All right, now we're getting somewhere, right? And so then it becomes about, well, why did I feel lonely? And how will I manage that emotion of loneliness next time? Because this won't be the last time I feel lonely. This won't be the last time I feel guilt or shame or disconnected, uh, as as you were saying earlier, you know. Um, I'm rambling on here. But the power of it, of getting to the emotion of what your motivations are, because uh, I, I used to notice, and I've talked about this in previous podcasts, where I would eat, I would binge eat after shows at the, uh, at the Comedy Magic Club. I would be like 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, why? It's like every time I would have this overwhelming urge to binge eat. And I was like, what is this? And I'm talking like, I'm talking about like putting a pint of ice cream in a blender with cookies and like yeah. just, and I realized I felt, uh, I was exhausted, one, and I felt lonely, too. Yeah. For some reason. And now I've, I've. Now, I call my mom or call a family member after a show. Yeah. And I uh, will either uh, have tea, because when you're exhausted, it's about like warmth. You want things that are warm. And once I start putting those things in place, I've been able to manage it That's very interesting. Better. I'll tell you
1: something. After a show at a comedy club, especially for some reason, I don't know why, but the Toronto... Yuck Yucks Comedy Club. I don't know why, but after I destroy there, and it's a it's a hot room. It's great to get a set in there, but at the end of the night, as I'm walking back to my car by myself after I've destroyed, I feel an a bottomless pit of sadness, and I can't figure out why that is. I felt I just feel so like but. I just I just destroyed. Like I just decimated a room of 200 people. Why am I walking back to my car as if I just went in to grab some groceries and now I'm walking back to my car like I'm everybody else? I I just did a heroic thing where I made everyone's night and it's and I'm the reason for that. You know, everyone's gone. And it's like, it's almost as if I'm looking for validation from what I just did. So the what I just did wasn't good enough. Like, I don't, I don't go, you know, man, like what you just did was quite amazing. You, you just, you just made 200 people laugh for a good chunk of time. You made their night, everyone's buzzing. Some of them might be talking about you right now, but even if they're not, their night was great because of you. And I should be, on, like, walking on cloud nine back to the car. But And that, that's the way it used to be. But for some reason today, I'm walking back to the car. It's probably maybe a 10-minute walk. And in that time, and as I'm sitting in the car and I'm driving home, I feel so alone. And uh, and I crave chocolate in that moment. I crave female validation. Uh, It's it's a really bizarre thing where comedy, which is a drug to a, a large extent, just doesn't seem to be like like I'm I'm immune to it almost. Not not all the time, but for some reason, that club, I don't know what it is. If I'm on the road, it's different, but not all the time. I could be at the Funny Bone in Columbus and destroy, and I'm just back in the hotel room by myself going, but I just destroyed. <laughs> Where's the parade? Where's the lift this guy up? Let's, you know what I mean? Like, it's it just people clear out of the club, and it's almost like, the staff doesn't treat you like holy. That was amazing, man. They just go, yeah, okay, great set. Uh, so yeah, tomorrow night, uh, nine thirty, and you're just like, dude, could did you not see what I just did in there? Like they're just like business as usual. They don't give a shit. And I, am like, but I like kill. Like I didn't just tell one good joke. I decimated for the entire time I was on stage. Come on,
0: man. You know what I've learned to do. There's a, there's a third part besides the making a phone call to someone um, and uh, seeking out warm things like uh, tea or even taking a bath. After I've learned to say, "I'm proud of you, Leo." That is awesome. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I yeah. It takes I, a it while took, for me to click into that. I, I forgot what I was reading, but they were saying how the thing that most, oh, I wish, I, I'm sure I have it written down because I write everything down. I have it written down somewhere, but it was like the thing that people want to hear the most is uh, I'm proud of you because most people don't get that from their father or their mom. And that's really, I mean, of you know, you have all the women. You have women after shows throwing themselves at you. You have the food and blah blah blah. But really, it's like you just want your dad. Like it's you know what it is. It's like when you watch those movies, uh, like a boxing movie or a football movie. And no matter how well the the kid on the field is doing, he could throw ten touchdowns. He's always looking to see if his dad,
1: totally is in
0: the seat, yeah, and. Every, and that's the thing you just murdered and everybody saw it except your dad yeah you know what i mean and and i may and maybe that's he you know you know I'm what i do up, you,
1: you know what i do a lot uh like my like to to get a reaction from my dad is i show him every paycheck i get <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I show him to get my <laughs> and but if it if it's like a sizable check That's right so, so like these cruises right. obviously yeah like and and one thing that I that I've done is when they get mailed to uh, to my address I say dad uh, like I'm on the cruise now uh, can you go check my mail please just grab the check open it up. Just to make sure... I I say, just to make sure that it's the right amount. (laughs) But I know it's going to be... I don't need him to do that. I... (laughs) Just so that he'll, like, (laughs) feel... My kids... Look at my kid. Look at this. You know? Couple grand here, couple grand there. Just to, you know... Because I know that he... It does. I know it does a few things for him. I know that he's proud of me, and he is proud of me. I, I'm willing to contest that I might not be connected to how proud of me he actually is. Do you know what I mean? I may not just, like, I'll, I'll just have to believe the concert was that good, but I don't exactly know how good it is. So, But what it also does for him, which I, I appreciate, is it, uh, it calms his fear of, of me being a financial burden to him. Because I'm not anymore. So I want him to just be in tune with every dime I'm making. So that A, he can go, great kid. And B, he can go, I, I've, I've done my part. Like I've done well as a parent. Because look at my kid. He's doing well. He's doing all these ships. He's you know headlining everywhere else. And he's making money. So I'm great
0: you know i and i don't i want to say one I'm proud of you Dylan for what you've done well thank you uh and I'm saying that because one you're 39 years old and like i said you you' you've built up a nice financial nest egg for yourself and a career and you're funny and improv and you've taken classes and things like that well-rounded. But two, I think that you you're, you haven't recognized the, the growth that you've had. I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit, meaning that where you are at the age of almost 40, you, you you have so much control in how the next forty years are gonna go for you, right? Because up until this point you've been doing what most people do up to your age. We all all are living for our parents or something external, right? It's like whether it's your parents, whether it's your children Like up to about 40, like you're doing things really for other people. And then about 40, between 40 and 50, you start going, wait, what does this mean for me? That's what the midlife crisis is. It's not so much a crisis. It's really about reestablishing your why. Your first why was like you recognized or felt that your dad had this fear of you being a burden and you didn't want to be a burden. So all your decisions was to address that feeling. But now you have a new feeling that's stronger than that feeling, which is you want significance. You want, uh, you, you, it's not like you, right, I, it's like I took care of you and your emotions, Dad, and I took care of my emotions, and but now I have this whole other thing I have to go take, and I took care of our relationship. Now I have this other thing that I, I want to evolve into, and th- that space is a tough space to navigate, right? Because you're not there yet, but you it's kind of like getting to the moon, right? It's like, I see the moon, I see where I want to go. All right here, I'm on Earth. Earth is great, but I want to get there. And when you when you watch a space shuttle take off, immediately, it, if, at first it's like this quick shot up, but then there's just, there's that space between, the Earth's atmosphere in space where it looks like everything's going to fall apart. That's what the midlife crisis is. But if you like, just hold on and breathe, then you're fucking in space. And then it becomes quiet, just like the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. And but and why is the classroom quiet? Because you know your why. Why are you making them be quiet? The kids know why they're being quiet. There's a strong why in that. And that's how you get to space when you establish your next why. Because right now your why is out of fear. I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to have the feelings. Of, I don't want to hurt my kids. But but then the next level will be love. I love my, you know, you meet a woman. I love her so much. I want I want to go on this journey of having kids and see what happens. I love my kids so much. I'm gonna, re- you know, it's like you said, your relationship with your dad's good, but you know, maybe it even involves more where you like, I want my kids to meet my dad, and 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 because what's gonna fascinate you? Here's what I'm is your your father is gonna be the father that you wish you had to your kids.
1: Yeah. I right. I yeah no, <laughs> and I, I only know, but I know that because my sister has has uh, two children, yeah, and uh, and I see the way that he is with them, and he is I mean he the times that he's with they're so young, right. that he's very
0: inventive and playful with them, and they love him, and you and you're like where was this guy? I was like it has to be some resentment in that. Um, there isn't only because I've done my homework. Gotcha. Can you, can you go into what the homework was? Like what, when you say homework,
1: I, I don't have resentment because I can understand the shoes he was wearing when I was born, when I was going, when I was rambunctious and I was crazy and I wasn't listening to, you know, I was breaking other people's lamps and throwing pillows across the room as a kid. My dad is now embarrassed, or he, is, uh, or he has to be accountable for me. But when his grandkids are rambunctious and running all over the place, it's my sister and her husband that are accountable. My dad's like a kid with them. He's like, sorry, we, we were playing. We, things got carried away. Sorry. Uh, or I guess I fed them too much chocolate. We were having a good time. The kids will be fine. My sister's like, you don't have to put them to bed. Ah, they'll be fine. Right, so I don't. I understand what where my dad was at at that time. My sister has to be, you know, the don't feed them too much chocolate before bed. Don't get them riled up before bed, you know that kind of thing. Or they, you know, uh, the, the the little ones got a cold. Don't r- Don't rile them up. Don't sweat them up. They're, they'll get even sicker. So whereas my dad gets to just be the big kid in the room. But when I'm that age and he's the father, he's, he's not the grandfather now, he's got to be the, the accountable guy. So I can understand that. I don't I don't take that personally. I don't have resentment for that. I just understand he's in a different role right now. So that, that one's fine. And I, I actually get quite elated when I see how happy he is with them and how happy the kids are with them. I actually can enjoy that moment as
0: Christmas as it looks. Right, right. Yeah. Because then you also... I guess that will then help you feel like you have that inside you, too, of like, oh, you know, this guy who I thought was such a hard yeah. knuckle guy well, th- has this very... Well,
1: the thing is, the way that I'm talking about him right now, I'm sort of speaking on behalf of my child right. that has, that 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 doesn't, you know what, like, I, I'll, I'll never say that I don't have these issues. What I will say is that I'm managing them much better today. But they'll never be gone. It's like when you stain a carpet. No matter how much you scrub it out, that stain will always be there. It may be quite faint at some point. And maybe you only know that it's there it's so faint. Uh, and someone could go, wow, you, you got a great-looking carpet. You go, oh, there's actually a stain in, in the corner there. You can't see it, but it it's there. But it's only because I've done so much management yeah. on taking care of those, of those things that it'll always be in... Pardon
0: the pun, but in the fabric of my personality. So what what else have you done in terms of managing the like, the the emotions? The you talked about the sadness and and finding ways to manage that. Like how have you? Uh, I
1: journal. Uh, I've uh, I've had mentors that have been extremely helpful with uh, me dealing
0: coping with my issues around this. Can we break down the journaling? Sure. So what does that look like for you? Are you journaling every day, only when Uh, you're sad? I used to
1: journal every day even when I wasn't sad, and now today I journal basically just when I'm sad, but I probably should journal even when I'm not. Uh, and, And not even necessarily sad, but ungrounded, even though my default is sadness, so I guess I would feel that emotion the most, but I like to call it more ungrounded. Because I can be scared, I can be nervous, I can be worried, I can be concerned. Like I, can, I can feel guilt, fear, all kind of stuff. But, uh, but I talk to myself. I have a conversation with myself. I will write out a question uh, as my quote-unquote child would, and then I will answer it in my adult. Whereas we, we talked about this before, and you were saying, which I had never heard before, use your left hand or use your opposite hand that you write with to represent your child. Even though I was thinking, I don't write very well with that hand, and I mean, you were saying- With a child. Just, right? just do it. Ex- exactly, it would look like a child right. writing it. <laughs> but mind you, my writing with my right hand is pretty atrocious. It <laughs> might look like the same. But that is what I do. I have a conversation with myself, and, I, and I've been quite surprised at how I'm able to do some detective work and figure out why I feel the way that I feel um, but there have been some extraordinary books too that have helped conversations with god being one of them um and what else uh what other books what other books uh that that to be honest with you i've i mean conversations with god is a series of books oh it is yeah there's so there was three original books uh yeah book one book two book three they called it and then uh, neil donald Walsh started writing other books like communion with god home with god friendship with god and i read all those too and those are very helpful i found for me are you a,
0: do you go to church a lot
1: no i'm not oh. religious this this is not a religious book this is a, a, a and i'm i'm glad you asked that cuz uh, just for the just in case people are rolling their eyes at the fact that it you know sounds religious it's not it's spiritual <laughs> you know, people are really rolling their eyes it's a spiritual book based in psychology and spirituality. It has zero to do with religion. Not at all. It's like Neil Don. And you kind of have to suspend your beliefs when you read it, too, because this guy, Neil Donald Walsh, claims he's actually had a conversation with God. And he recorded the conversation. He was journaling one night, as we're talking about, and he was, at- he was just scribing these questions. And all of a sudden, he felt an answer come through his mind who he claims is God. And the answers that he is writing about are extraordinary. They're incredible answers. So he recorded this entire conversation and he put it into three books originally, but then he claims to have further conversations with God and recorded those books as well. And I found them to be incredibly powerful and insightful. I've read other books like the power of now, which I thought for me was Quite heavy and hard for my own understanding to grasp a lot of that. Like I get it, but it just every paragraph was so deep and so heavy. I'm like, God! (laughs) I had to put it down and think and reflect. Do you know what I mean? It it was just like the richest piece of chocolate cake where you're just like, if I'm gonna eat this whole thing, I gotta eat this like one bite a day. You know what I mean? That's what this book felt like for me. Yeah. Um, So yeah, there were other uh, Think and Grow Rich another really good book i read i read the book the secret uh, i've listened to esther hicks and stuff like that and it's uh, tony robbins too and none of these i would claim have been the sole uh, source of a lot of help but uh, but just you know you get a little bit of ch- a chunk of here a chunk of help there um, but I would say the main main source for me is uh, my mentors that I've had. So. Yeah,
0: so let's go into that and and what lessons learned and uh, and how you even find how do you even find a mentor? Let's start there. I
1: was really lucky. Uh, I my, it was my dad's friend uh, who uh, just for some reason has an incredible level of insight into psychology and how to heal one big lesson of many that I learned was uh, it was very difficult for me to appreciate the process I was going through. Every win I would get, uh, I didn't celebrate because I was walking around with this banner of, I want to be this $25 million movie star. And that's what I would say to myself, I want to be this $25 million movie star. But what but I, what I don't realize is that there's like this dot, dot, dot that comes after this banner. And the dot, dot, dot is I want to be this $25 million movie star uh, or, or it's a fail or, no, or, or nothing or it's not good enough. So it's not like I'm saying I want to be a $25 million movie star, but booking a commercial would be cool also. Uh, getting a headline in a club I haven't headlined in would be cool also. Um, having a great week at a club would be great also. It was, I want to be a $25 million movie star. Black and white. Or nothing. Right. Or nothing. So anytime I would do something great, if it it felt short of $25 million for doing a movie, it wasn't appreciated or enjoyed or celebrated. I remember I had a weekend in Canada one time where it was the very first weekend ever I made $3,000 for doing stand-up. That was amazing. That was like, <laughs> you're gonna pay me three k to tell my jokes? You joking? And when I was done that weekend, because I hadn't have done the homework at the time, I felt it was like, yeah, okay, yeah. It was, you know, it's three grand. It's not twenty five million for doing a movie. It was three grand. Looking back on it I celebrate the shit out of that I'm like That's incredible I'm in like the middle of Canada In a place I've never been before They've invited me For three thousand dollars To tell jokes And they flew me in Which I didn't have to pay for They transported me to places It was insane And At the time I wasn't in the frame of mind Of understanding how to celebrate that And relish that moment And that's not a deep regret or anything. It was a lesson that I had learned a little later to go, can you, now can you feel how incredible that is? And then I, I did. I, I actually spent it later feeling how feeling how elated I should have felt back then, and which I did. I just didn't do
0: it in the moment. So he taught you to celebrate your, your Ws. Yep. Uh, and what's uh, one other thing? Uh
1: Man, from it's, your I'm trying to think, like, uh, there, dude, there has been huge. I mean, because I mean, there, there was, there was, uh, lessons in business, there was lessons in women, there was lessons in my dad.
0: Let's, let's take a, let's take a business and a woman. Uh,
1: a woman one was, so I was so shy around women, and I, but I was still like, how come, how come I'm not getting any headway with women I'm attracted to? And he goes, because they can smell fear. They can smell like you're a child with them. You're not being yourself. You're not being confident. Women don't want to take care of children. They want a man. And so when you're approaching them and you're being shy and nervous, kind of scared to talk to them, they can sense it immediately that you're acting childish in that way. And they don't want that. They want a grown man. So that was very insightful to know that, okay, if I'm going to talk to women you know, get grounded, realize that I'm an asset to their life. I'm not a liability. I I fill their life with laughter and insight and imagination and creativity and money and all these great things. So just kind of coach yourself and, and recognize that that's the case before you start talking to them. And that made me feel better. And so when I'd sit down and I would... I would just start making them laugh and I would, and in the moment I'm going, you see, like you're doing good. And then I would come back in the moment, right? I'd So, you know, just, so there was a practice. It was a, it was practicing the pattern of being confident with women and acting like an adult,
0: not a child. Well, you know, what's interesting is, uh, I remember someone saying, you know, women want you to be childlike, not childish. Okay. And I was like, sure. Wow. Yeah, you know, because cause, you know there is that you know the 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 guys who like you know you kind of goofy, witty, playful banter that kind of thing, where it's kind of like your childlike, like you have this innocence, like you're not taking things seriously, but at the same time, there's uh, you're grounded in that, like you, you you're you're taking care of business, but you're not you're not like. Hey, uh, but without need, but you don't need to be taken care of, which is what a child is, right?
1: Yeah, and yeah. you can kind of tell the difference. I'm sure you've just even seen in social situations. There's guys that come across nervous. They say stupid things that they wouldn't normally say. They're they're they're, they're leading with a child step first. They're leading nervous. They're leading with uh, I've got to make an impression. I've got to do something. Uh, I'm not being noticed right now. And so they either go, they overcompensate and they say something goofy or they withdraw and they get really quiet in these social situations. And women aren't going to rescue you for that, which is (laughs) one of the things I sometimes have resentment for women for because I'm like, you know, underneath this childish layer is a really great guy. Just give me a chance.
0: You know? So what do you do when you get nervous? Because uh, uh, sure at some point. it depends. You get nervous, so, it right? depends.
1: It's not always one thing. Sometimes I literally have to remove myself from the situation and ground myself.
0: What, what does that mean? Ground yourself. Uh,
1: I gotta I gotta talk myself uh, out of you know uh, out of being scared, and I gotta I gotta mentor myself. I have to journal. I gotta take myself for a walk and go, wow, like I'm feeling really nervous. Why am I so nervous to talk to that girl? Well, she's beautiful. Okay, yeah, great. So she's beautiful. Well, what's, what's you know, what's going on? Well, I just feel like she's not going to like me. Well, why? What What is it about you that's unlikable? Well, uh, I, I don't know. I'm scared, I guess. Okay, well, if you weren't scared, what would you be? Well, then I'd be funny, and I would be smart, and I would be charming, and I would be I'd recognize my financial value in the situation. I would recognize that you know I'm probably better than all the boys she's ever been with in her life just because i <laughs> I do walk around with that level of arrogance too sometimes. So okay, well, you know what? why don't you go back in there if you feel ready and be that guy and go do that? So that's one way, that's one way. Is to kind of coach myself into and sort of breaking down my feelings and why I'm feeling the way that I am, and reverse it. Um, another way is to is to do things in spite of my fears. Sometimes I'm feeling quite nervous, but I talk to the girl anyway, and I just do it. I fight through the fear of it, and I go. I walk over and I try to find something witty to say, some kind of opening icebreaker whether it's, you know, whatever. It's just something I observe in the moment. And then uh, just start asking her questions and maybe start teasing her a little bit, whatever. Start trying to be charming whatever. and whatever. And, and in so doing that, because now I'm in the zone, I'm not necessarily feeling all those fears I was feeling before that I went to do it. But I can still feel nervous in the moment and start gear shifting, and realize, oh, she's not really talking to me. She's not really into it. And if I feel that's the case, sometimes, you know, I just pull the parachute and and I walk away.
0: Two powerful things I like that you said. When one is, um, you said when you feel fearful, uh, you make an observation that helps you get grounded. And for a lot of people, a lot of listeners who are struggling with anxiety. Um. That's one of the things that they teach you to do when you are feeling anxious or having a panic attack is to make observations through your, how many senses do we have, six, seven? Yeah. So like uh, make an observation about five things that you see, then make an observation about five things that you hear, five things that you smell, taste, touch, all that. And as you're clicking through those, It'll ground you to being in the moment because when you're anxious, when you're nervous, the thing you're you're not doing is observing. Right. You're not present. You're not noticing her. You're not noticing the people that you're talking to or the environment that you're in. Right. Yeah. Um, That's what uh, bank robbers are. are, uh, You know, um, uh, uh, assailants. That's what they're counting on. Is they jump out of nowhere, freeze, give me your accounting on you for you to that's why like even if you get a good look at the person who attacked you robbed you assaulted you because you're in such fight or flight and the cortisol levels are high you you're not you can't you won't be able to recall it
1: yeah right? and and also too I just want to be kind of clear like because I started doing what I'm like what I like the example that I just gave yes I remember was an experience I had in university i started this process back then
0: so just a, a, a meaning like it takes a while for it to develop for yeah it to become a second hand yes that's something that this was you can like listen to this podcast and go out there and just start yeah <laughs> like i want people to Be know that said. i
1: that that everything that i'm talking about right now i'm really referring to like when you say like so like like the, this is really i'm talking about back in the day yeah
0: yeah um So what was one of the business uh, uh, takeaways, lessons learned?
1: There was a big one on entitlement. Uh, I remember I was uh, not... I wasn't getting headlined by Yuck Yucks, and I was upset about it. And I remember being asked, why should he headline you? And I said... Because I'm good, because I'm funny. I'm funnier than all these other guys that are getting headlined. And and he said, okay, so what does that do for him? Like, what, he's like, so what? Like, what? you know, why, why would he headline you for just that reason? I go, what do you mean why would he headline me for just that reason? I just told you I'm funnier than everybody. He goes, that doesn't matter. And I said, "What do you mean that doesn't matter?" And I, he said, "How is like everyone that goes on stage is doing well. So whether you want to measure how well you're doing in comparison to them, he's running his club, everything's going fine. So, so so what? That your punchlines are getting what? How how? What's what's the degree and variability to how much bigger?" they are than the laughs the other comics are getting like who cares i said so so what am i supposed to do he said are how are you making his life better what are you doing for him that would make him want to give you the headline spot and i said nothing he said then that's what you're gonna get (laughs) so it was a really big uh lesson especially for us being in uh a very politicized industry, right? Like th- like our industry is not a structured one by any means. You go to school, you get a degree, and you get the job, you get mm-hmm. the promotion. This is like, who? Kn- this is all reaching around in the dark. And so I had to learn how to appease the people that I wanted things from. So if you want these coveted positions in the game, well, what are you doing to the powers that be to make them go, hey, this guy just made my life better. In return of that, I want to give him this. So I, at that point, started to ask uh, these people out for coffee, or if, if I thought that's what what they wanted, or I would, uh, you know, I would fill a, I would try to see if there was any holes in their lives I could fill. You know, if they if they came in the club, I was extra nice. I was. Uh, I was try to be endearing. I try to be memorable in terms of having a nice conversation. I'd follow up with an email. Hey, love seeing you the other day. Thanks, you know, always love seeing you at the club. Uh, had a great conversation. I think it really made my set better too. That kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, so the people go, wow, this, you know, that's really nice. That's warm. The next thing you know, I'm getting more spots. I'm getting more of this. I'm getting more of that. It's a, it's a slow burned process. And that was one of, uh,
0: the big lessons is, what are you doing for them? It, it, it's, man, there's this agent at, uh, at a top agency in LA that uh, I, I told him, I was like, you're going to sign me by the end of this year. <laughs> 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 I go, I That's go, <laughs> I said, put, I, I, and I text him, I said, put in your calendar, December, I was like, December 25th, because it's going to be a gift for the both of us. You're gonna sign me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he said he said, listen, don't worry about us signing you. He goes, um make us want you. Right? Don't he goes all you all you have to do is write. He said, write every day and build up your followers. You do those two things, at some point we're going to be begging you to sign with us. He's like, but that's what you have to do. Those two things. And just the fact that, you know, he would take the time out to But he's like, build up your street cred. Basically is what he's saying. Build up your value. Yeah. The funnier you become and then the more that the people want you, then at some point you become undeniable, you know, and it was just a valuable lesson because I'd always been writing. That was the thing I was always focused on. But I wasn't focused on the followers, and it goes back to without the followers that I'm not giving them the agency any value because right. for them they go, "Wow, he has this many numbers," and they can take that to their boss, boss, yeah, and now they can tour you immediately versus. If you're just funny, well, now they have to help you build up your street cred. It is interesting that
1: uh, a lot of people in this game lose sight that this really, this whole thing, is a language of value. It's not personal, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people, including myself, I've, I, you know, again, this is where I get triggered. I get ungrounded, and I have to ground myself. It's one of the things I have to tell myself is, you're just not showing the, you're not showing them the value that they want. If you do that, they'll They're happy to give you what you want because you've given them the value. This goes with relationships, too. How so? Show the women the value she's looking for, and she'll give you what you want.
0: Hey, because, yeah, you were saying that women value four things? Yes. Yes, women want four things from men, essentially. Now, do they want all four things, or every woman wants something different at... No,
1: all these all women want these four things, okay. but the difference is is that at the beginning stages of a relationship she'll sacrifice the one she wants the most for the other three. Got you. Right? She'll 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 sacrifice sorry, she'll sacrifice three of them for the, the one, one she one wants, wants the, the, most. the most. Okay. So those four things just cuz I'm sure people would want to know are attention, affection,
0: security and hot sex. Um, attention. All right, that makes sense. Phone calls, checking in. Yeah. Hey, how are you? Mm-hmm. Uh, affection. That sounds more like a physical thing. Like it can be. Uh, or what's another way of showing affection? Uh,
1: affection can also it it's it's a lot has to do with physical and cuddling. It's it's uh, it's physical touch, but that doesn't mean it's always sexual. Right, like hand holding. Kiss, yeah. Forehead kiss. Right. Yeah, affection could be hey, we're going on a hike today. Guess what? I bought these walkie-talkies in case we got lost. Right. That's affectionate. Right, right. right. I'm just, I just came up with that here. I don't even know if that's I, a good example, but you right, know what I mean. Right, 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 right. Um, just to show you that it doesn't always have to be a physical touch. Gotcha. Um, and a sense of security is stable job, uh, you know, no crazy, you know, you don't have vices that are out of control, that sort of thing. She can trust you. Trust. Trust yeah. comes under security. Right. right Money right. comes under security. Right. Stable job comes under security. Do Do you come across as a as a you know an adult, a family guy? Or, you know what I mean. Are you rude, or, but are or are you nice? You know, kind of. It's a a personality slash financial. Slash, you know, she's sizing you up. She wants a family. She's looking to you for that sense of security. Right, right. And I think Even hot health sex is falls like,
0: into that, I would think. Health, because like a lot of women. Health, are absolutely. Like, hey, yeah, you got it. Sure. Yeah, right. Gotcha.
1: And hot sex, I think, speaks for itself. All
0: right. Well, you know what? It it doesn't because I because what I find is that people, I think the mistake a lot of people make is that they think hot sex starts and ends in the bedroom. Oh, that's a good point. Would you agree? Would you agree that that is not what hot sex really is about? I would agree with that. And can you break that down?
1: Well, I think that the best sex a woman has is when a guy can stimulate her mind. I don't know. I would say it's the same for a guy, actually. The same, you know. If, uh, yep. yeah, yeah, it, it, it actually it is. Now that I think about it, I kind of land on that clicking pretty hard. Yeah when a man's mind is like mentally stimulated, that's the best sex. So when both people are stimulating each other's minds, man, woman, man, man, woman, woman, whatever, uh, that will be the best sex that they have.
0: Yeah. And and really that comes from, uh, listening, being able to listen and respond. Because I think that, uh, uh, another thing when we talk about like mental stimulation, it doesn't have to be that uh, you're so smart and worldly, and you can speak all these different languages or play an instrument. It's not that. Is that are you are you two listening to each other? That could on be that one frame, way. The same wavelength, like I mean, yeah, that could be a part of it for sure. It's a part of it. Let's right. say let's say you're with a girl mm-hmm. and
1: i don't know or or a better example okay let's say a girl's with a guy and he's just regular built guy you know there's nothing extraordinary let's say about his build but while they're out some rude guy gets really belligerent and this dude just throws a roundhouse kick that just knocks this dude right on his ass and she's like where did that come from chuck norris and he's like "I, i i yeah i'm a I'm a ninja, like, I'm a karate guy, I'm a jujitsu guy, I, you know, I didn't, I just, I don't like talking about it, I don't want people thinking that I'm, like, outside of this thing, and she goes, her mind is blown because of a, because of that moment, so it can be, like, another thing for uh, a guy, uh, maybe a girl knows a lot about a particular topic that he's just, like, What? Do you know that much about cars, or you know that much about my football team, or whatever? Like, I love you. Oh my god! And then they have sex and, whatever. Like his, it's his mind has been stimulated. It's not. It it's it doesn't necessarily have to be limited to just a deep conversation
0: right. between two. Uh, it's like almost like oh, you value something that I value. And yeah. You know, and then and you it seems rare that you would value that. that too. So yeah, it pops
1: absolutely. my brain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, I was, I was talking to uh, this woman earlier, and she was like, "Oh my god, you listen to NPR?" Like you <laughs> see her eyes light up, and I was like, "NPR does it for you, really?" <laughs> 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 but I think it, you know, it's like it's what listening to NPR represents, right? It's like I wasn't talking about. Uh now what's NPR music? for those that uh, are on this uh, podcast NPR that don't know is what news, that is? <laughs> news program radio. I don't, gotcha. Basically it's uh it's a it's a um <laughs> I actually don't know what it is. It's a radio <laughs> station that they they cover uh they go they cover in-depth news stories and uh it's just they, they their storytelling is remarkable and they put music behind it. It's not like watching Fox News. Oh cool. Okay. It's just like they take one one angle of a news article and go really in depth into oh, okay. it and they have and they splice in sound bites and audio and it's just like no matter what topic they cover you're fascinated from beginning to end okay um and uh and so they have they also affiliate with the Moth podcast i don't know if you've heard of them it's a storytelling podcast Moth Moth M O T H okay where people just all it is, is, uh, and they have this around the country where um, uh, people come in, it's an auditorium, and they don't know what the topic of the stories are going to be. And they go, this is the topic. And then uh, people sign up that night to go up and tell their story. So your story is unprepared. It's unscripted. It's un, uh, and then they have like moth story slams. Where, like, uh, if you win, like, having the best story of that night, then they uh, team you against other moth winners from other parts of the country. Oh, cool. And then they had, like, the Grand Slam and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, they had have a podcast where it's just, like, all the best stories. And they're, like, riveting. There was this one guy talking about uh, being interesting or stimulating a woman's mind. He was telling a story about, he was like, yeah, so I was dating this girl and she would travel a lot. And uh, I, I just thought like she was in sales. turns out, and then she just disappeared. and he's like, "I didn't know where she went. And then I get a phone call. They're like, "Hey, will you take a collect call from uh, state penitentiary, whatever?" She gets pinched for she was drug smuggling. Wow, and that's where she was disappearing to. So the fascinating part about the story is the guy then goes on to say, you know it, it, she, I guess she's in jail for a couple of years. And so he's at a bar and the girl will be like, Oh, so why are you single? He's like, Well, my girl's in jail for uh for running drugs. And all of a sudden he said <coughs> it would make him look ten times more appealing to the woman huh. because he himself isn't dangerous, right. but he's affiliated with danger. <laughs> it just oh my up- God. <laughs>
1: you're dangerous by association (laughs) that's my favorite yeah so the
0: podcast just has these people telling these very uh (laughs) riveting engrossing stories and and they go angles that like you're like I mean not all of them are great obviously but a lot of them are just so like uh mind blow but anyway I was I was telling her I was like yeah you know I'm in NPR she's like what so um so you, you, we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, what women want, four things that women want, yeah. the, the lessons that you've learned from your mentors uh, and how you ground yourself. Uh, is there is there anything else in this journey of you becoming a father one day? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, yeah. getting to the, and and uh, so, and I don't know if I made this clear up top, the, the, the reason why I had Dylan, uh, I'm having Dylan on a podcast is because he's so funny, so hilarious. And, uh, and, but the one thing that you're, that I feel like you're missing is that you're not giving us the why on stage uh, with your views on children and relationships and life in general. You're giving us the jokes. And the punches and they hit hard and people <clears> love you uh however i feel like you would hit that stratospheric level comedic comedically if you were able to to bring in your why and, and tell us about the emotions that are driving these points of view uh, you know
1: what it is man uh it's a, it's a, it comes from a very seemingly unfunny place, and when I bring it out on stage, it really changes the energy of the room. Like imagine the stuff you've heard me say on this podcast on stage. Like it would be like gulp. Is This guy gonna cry. <laughs> you know, like it's it's a I I and I'm very or uncomfortable. Or fascinating. Or maybe that too. You know what it is? I'm I'm uncomfortable with the silence of of saying these things. I can I can stand the silence of saying something else that doesn't go that well but talking about this stuff and getting silence I have no idea what the audience is thinking like ugh this is, it's either boring or I pity this guy or is it is it real is this like why would he say that it's not funny audiences I think uh, for the most part are not... Fascinated by a compelling story, I, I think they they might be and not know it, but I don't think they consciously go, "Man, that guy was like really compelling. That was awesome." Um, I think some some people can really appreciate it, but for the most part, I don't know that they do. And if I'm up there and I'm going, "Yeah," I still have uh, dad issues and parenting issues and all that stuff, and I think that it, I just I don't know. I I think that it might make people just feel uncomfortable because I think I'm uncomfortable saying it on stage. I haven't found the the reason for putting this on stage yet. I can understand why you would say sure. that it's missing, and I, I think I agree with you. But, God, it's a it feels like quite the leap to be going there because it feels really awkward to talk about it for me. So I think that that will put an awkward energy into the room and that will make the audience awkward, and I feel like I'm digging a hole while I'm up there talking about this stuff. And I might not be. It could be the exact opposite. But I don't exactly have a rain of punchlines to follow those kind of topics and premises
0: yet. You know, um, I remember... Let me give you two examples. George Carlin was doing a show somewhere, and he started the show with all profanity. He was just F-word, C-word, B-word, all this stuff. And people started to get up and walk out. And after enough people had walked out, he goes, now to get rid of those, let's start to show. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. (laughs) And, And so that's one example I want to give you. The other example is Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, you know, is completely known for being vulnerable on on stage and sharing his story. But he was never quite able to talk about uh, the sexual abuse on stage. For some of the reasons that you just stated of like, it makes him sound like a victim, it's too mm-hmm. much for the audience, blah, blah, blah. However, he would always test it. And you could see it, if you, I forget uh, what special it was, he he was he was boom boom, he was killing him. Pat, 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 pat. And then he and then out of nowhere he goes, uh uh you ever you ever have your, your hand on a man's penis or something? It was something or oh no, he goes like, You ever get caught sucking a dick? <laughs> I think that was so, up in smoke. Yeah, something like that. And then he you could tell he listened to the audience to see how they responded. And then he just immediately went into something else, but he was always testing to see if he was in a place in his career where it was okay for him to, to talk about it, and he never got there. And I don't think it wasn't. I don't think it was because he couldn't talk about it. He just didn't a- allow it to be uncomfortable long enough. To find where he could talk. Because sometimes that's something that you just have to find on stage sure. and you yeah. know uh and then you go, oh, okay. But I think the the power in what you have is you you have what you went through as a kid, but you have you also have the story of how you found your way out. That is what makes the audience love you. Right? Because you're not staying in the victimhood. Right. You're, you're, you're bringing up, all right, all right, okay, I'll go with you. Yeah, your father did this. Oh, man, that's horrible. Oh, you found your, okay, good. You let us off the hook. Temp- Tom Papa, and I know the audience is like, hey, are we, are we just some mental health podcast or is this a comedy podcast? Um, But Tom Papa, I saw him live uh, in in Chicago, uh, uh, LA at the Iowa West. And he was on stage talking about how he was like, hey, man, uh," he was killing. He was killing for 30 minutes. He was doing an hour, killing for 30 minutes. And then halfway through, he goes, what happens when you die? I mean, what happens after we leave here? And you let that question sit for a second, right? He said, uh, when I was a kid, me and my buddy used to ride our bikes down the street. And every day, we, you know, we'd get our bikes. And one day, we were riding our bikes. And uh, and a truck came. And the then I just remember hearing words like funeral and wake. And I, I remember my dad with his huge hands struggling to tie my tie. Dylan, the audience is, I'm damn near in tears. Especially when we talked about his father trying to tie his tie and, yeah. and couldn't. And uh, and then the room goes, is dead silent. And he goes, I know you shouldn't talk about death because people say that can happen. But I talk about blow jobs and that doesn't happen. And the room erupted. Wow. It he it blew it up. Wow. And I messaged him the next day. Uh, and I was like, Tom, I was at the show. That was incredible. I forgot why he was even telling the story and how it fit into the bigger. Narrative. I was <laughs> like I was like, wow, he goes, Yeah, it was tricky, wasn't it? You know? So he knew. And he never put that in a special.
1: Well, it's interesting, you know, because you created so much tension in the room with that story, oh and then God. to go, like, you know, and I and I don't even know. You see that particular punchline. It's almost what I want to say is that punchline in particular is not like the most. It's funny. It's it's not the most clever, but it really let everybody off the hook. Right. And everyone goes, Oh God, thank like thank you for Jesus Christ. I didn't know there was a light at the end of this tunnel. Like, wow, like I thought you were about to we were about to go five to ten minutes on a full on funeral about a kid who got hit by a truck. And he just went, Blowjobs, folks, they don't happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? So everyone is probably giving a little bit more credit to yeah. just that one particular line. Right, right. right you know tom's getting something off of his chest yes, he right. wants to talk about something really personal and yep. deep and to and to keep the show moving forward he goes blow jobs folks <laughs> am i right <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> now so if weird. i decided to, to to go down this road which i which i do want to do my style is not i i don't right. i don't know if i want to bring them down a path of tears and then let them off the hook with that. I. But having said that, and if Tom is listening, dude, I love you, and you're an amazing comic. And I mean that. I mean that. I'm being critical just because I recognize the style in which he did it, right. and I'm just trying to form my own pattern right, absolutely. of just going, if I go down that road, right. I'd like it to be funny along the way. Right. I want to figure that out. Yeah. I I haven't just yet to talk about topics that much. Like you heard me talk about my sister having a baby and making me the godfather, right? right? That is so funny. Yeah. So uh, and and it's and that is rooted that's a joke that's as, that that's as close as I have right now that's that's rooted to my deepest fears of right. becoming a parent.
0: Right. That if you know <sighs> All right, uh, all right, man. We went through a long journey here, D-Money. Uh, is there anything we didn't cover that uh, you want to talk about? I don't have know. Have you been to I therapy? D- you haven't been to therapy, right? I have
1: not done straight-up therapy, but I would say through what my have experienced with my mentors has been uh, therapy. The therapy, right.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then the the depression, you did you go through depression? or Are you dealing with that or is it no anymore? I dealt with sadness. I dealt with heavy
1: sadness I don't think I've dealt with depression because I've heard people describe depression mm. and I was said to myself, I don't think I've felt that okay but it's been a constant state of sa- like a like sadness in a very consistent way like a uh, melancholy a melancholy sadness Got you. yeah
0: uh yeah, you know that's one of those things that uh people that's not mentioned you know everything is either depression or mania but uh but melancholy kind of like that slow steady yeah like that background noise yeah where i'm not feeling suicidal by any stretch
1: but i'm living in a somber tone wow
0: powerful um where can people find you dylan well you can find me on uh, a lot of cruises (laughs) i've
1: hit pirate status uh, you can find me at Dylan Comic on Instagram, D-Y-L-A-N-C-O-M-I-C. Um, yeah, that's a good place to, to look for me. I'm on Facebook and Twitter as well. Same at Dylan Comic. Is your, is your
0: father, does he work out?
1: Does he work out, like, in the gym workout?
0: Uh, just work out. Period no. no.
1: No, he's, he walks now. He walks because he survived a heart attack. So I... Bought him a Fitbit, and now he's uh, a
0: 10,000-step-a-guy-day guy. Guy. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic, (laughs) man. Yeah. Uh, Now, because I know you work out, and I was just wondering where you got that from. Uh, Just
1: growing up, uh, loving sports. Uh, I also work out because I am trying to get bigger, but it's very difficult for me to do that. I got a body type that just just garburates food and metabolizes it and keeps me
0: thin. You know, it's so funny. I, I, I had a buddy of mine. He's like this shredded athlete. And he's either super shredded or super thin. He like he like it's not in his DNA to have like an average body. It's just yeah. or it's one or the other. Um, Dylan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your journey, your finding your why. Hopefully we found some of the why's and uh, and teaching us some lessons, man. I, this is very uh, informative for me. And uh, I'm sure for the listeners. So, but I want the listeners to remember that this podcast is not a substitute uh, for you going to get therapy, for you finding mentors, for you talking to someone, for you calling the one eight hundred suicide number or the one eight hundred talk number. Um, uh, you know, we your story needs to be heard. People want to hear it, and uh, there's there's a, a way through. So uh, let's hang in there and then we will talk to you soon.